You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. That's right, Bear on Bears fans, it's time for another edition of Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you, coming at you for a June podcast to wrap up OTAs and minicamp. We've got a good guest coming up here today, can't wait, Nicholas Moreano from CHGO Sports Bears beat reporter for CHGO. He is going to be by here in just a few minutes. He was at OTAs. He was at minicamp whenever the Bears would let the media actually in the building and watch practice. So we'll see what he will hear what he saw uh, when we talk to him here in just a little bit. But hey, look, there is no better time to overreact than OTAs because, look, we're hungry for football. There's the draft, right? And everyone gets keyed up for all the draft picks. And the first opportunity you get to see him is, of course, in OTAs. And OTAs, there are no pads. There is not a lot going on in OTAs to, to make you excited. You can certainly have things that will get you disappointed, but there are any time you get positives. And, of course, there's going to be positives because it's, it's light contact. It's seven on seven a lot of times. It, it sets up well to have highlights and, and beat reporters you know, highlight the positives here that the Bears have had. And for the most part, that's exactly what happened with the Chicago Bears offseason program. We heard far more positives than we did negatives. We heard a lot of positives around Justin Fields. I wouldn't have expected it to be any other way, whether that be teammates talking about how Justin is locked in and ready to go, whether that be coaches and Ryan Poles talking about how Justin is locked in and ready to go, whether that be Justin Fields talking about how he's locked in and ready to go. So, you know, no expectations there for anything other than that. That's exactly what we heard. You know, we heard one thing about Justin Fields having a little bit of a rough struggle on day two of minicamp that it may not have been his best day, but we heard positives from Justin Fields on day one and day three. OTAs look pretty good as well. So again, I'm not going to spend too much time here worrying about Justin Fields. We, we don't need to worry about Justin Fields till we actually see him playing this season with a revamped offensive line, more talent around him, more at the skill position players, and, and that's what we're looking to see out of him. So we'll obviously ask Nick here coming up here shortly about Justin Fields and how he looked. But I think the the most interesting thing, obviously, to me, that has happened here over the last couple of weeks is the Mark Silverman report, the Sylvie report, that he talked about how he has heard that the Bears are not thrilled with Chase Claypool. And again, this is a type of story here that's there's no reason to overreact to it we have very little information as to what's going on with chase claypool right now we have sylvie saying the bears aren't happy with him we have chase claypool showing up to otas but not participating and then we had justin fields a few weeks prior talking about how he likes what he's seen from chase and chase has a better attitude and yada yada now to me the most interesting thing that's come out of everything here in this offseason was justin fields and again, I don't remember the exact quote with Chase Claypool, but Justin Fields saying that, you know, he likes what he's seeing a lot more out of Chase Claypool, that his attitude, whatever it might be, is better this offseason. To me, I'm just going to lie, that's, that's a little alarming. Now, it's obviously it's a positive in that Chase Claypool has improved, but that really gets to, you used to see exactly what was going on with Chase Claypool in 2022. Chase Claypool was not locked in. You know, that injury, he, he was not coming through that. And I understand the Bears at that point were trying to lose games towards the end of the season. If you don't think they were trying to lose games, you weren't watching those games. They were trying 
to lose football games, pretty much you know, resting players, not having players play through injuries. There was plenty going on there, and I get it. The season was lost, so the better the draft position, the better they got, and they got the best draft position they could possibly get. So it did work out for Chicago. That is certainly not a complaint, and don't take it as one. But Chase Claypool was bad last year, plain and simple, no other way about it. Chase Claypool had to learn the offense. He had a lot of different, you know, he had to adjust, new city, new town. That is hard to do on the fly in the middle of the season. No training camp, no preseason, nothing. And the Bears offense, uh, you know, is not an easy one to learn. So it's not like Chase was going to step in and average six catches for 75 yards right out of the gate. That wasn't going to happen. But there really wasn't any improvement throughout the season. Now we get into this year and Chase Claypool is in a contract year. And Chase Claypool was, you know, in a trade that ended up being the 32nd overall pick. So there, there's a lot there on the line with Chase Claypool. But as I've said, I'm going to evaluate Ryan Poles each season, and I'm not going to evaluate Ryan Poles overall until after three full seasons. After that third offseason and going into 2024 and seeing how that team performs in 2024, to me, that is really the first year you should truly evaluate a GM unless some things are going dreadfully wrong the other the other direction because you know they need an offseason to kind of clear off the the bad contracts and some of the problems from the previous regime they need to get some of their own draft picks in there they need to bring in some of their own free agents and that takes time so the earliest I think you can really evaluate a GM is after three seasons now Ryan Poles the first season and if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know I was not a fan of what Ryan Poles did. I don't need to go through everything. He made several mistakes. This isn't me saying, you know, that he did one thing and I disagree. No, he made several mistakes his first season as GM. We can go through a couple of them. He paid Nick Foles a bonus that he never should have paid. He should have cut Nick Foles before that, but he didn't because he thought he could trade him and he couldn't. That was an issue right there. He signed Byron Pringle before the the the, um, the cutoff for compensatory picks. Byron Pringle may have signed with another team by then, but who cares? Byron Pringle is not that important, and he proved to be not that important, and that cost the Bears a comp pick in, I believe it was the third round. Not like the fifth round or the sixth round, the third round. That Byron Pringle signing was a mistake. So he made mistakes. I don't agree with his his draft strategy. There are pl- There's plenty to talk about in the negative about Ryan Pulse's first year. In this second year, I would have liked to see Ryan Pulse spend a little bit more in free agency. You do need to overspend in free agency. I understand you don't want to flagrantly overspend, but you have to overpay for players. That's how you get players to pick when you're 3-14 and 14 the year before. He chose not to do that and didn't bring in much in free agency. He made an outstanding trade for the first overall pick with DJ Moore and all the draft picks he was able to get from Carolina. No complaints there. I like a lot of the draft selections he made. I think Ryan Poles overall has done a very good job in year two setting this team up for more success in 2023. How much success? That's really going to depend on Justin Fields. This roster is much better. It's still not good. Yeah, I, I don't think any Bears fan should be going into this thinking the Bears have a good roster. If the Bears had a good roster, you know, if you said, you know, there's excellent, there's very good, good, average, below average, like if you kind of put things like that, then a good roster would be if you ranked the Bears 53-man roster, the expected 53-man roster, that they'd probably have a roster somewhere in the 11 to 14 range, something like that, right? If that was a good roster and the Bears roster is not, one of the top 15 rosters in the NFL. I think it might be around 20, 22. Is, now that kind of depends on where they, what they have at quarterback, and I am expecting a nice jump at the quarterback position from Fields. But again, they have a below average roster at this point. Now that's much better than the dreadful roster they had a year ago. So there's been a significant improvement there. Whether that below average roster becomes a good roster is going to be how quickly these rookies, because these rookies are going to get opportunities, but how quickly these rookies can become impact players if they ever become impact players. Can Zach Pickens create interior pressure? Can Jervon Dexter play the one tech and three tech and play it well? Can Tyreek Stevenson step in, start, and be a quality cornerback? 
Can Tyler Scott be the deep threat that Justin Fields needs? Can Rashawn Johnson take over and start at running back and be a contributor? Maybe as early as, you know, October 1st. Where are we with these rookies? If this is an excellent rookie class, and I think it has a chance to be a very good rookie class, then the Chicago Bears are going to get better sooner rather than later. If these rookies don't pan out, a lot of them, then this roster is still a lot weaker than Bears fans would like to see. So there, there's there's a lot of fluctuation with what the Chicago Bears can be this year. They can be a, a playoff team. It is not out of the realm of possibility that this team can go 9-8. and eight. Maybe if everything goes right, 10-7 and seven in a weak NFC North, win the division and make the playoffs. They could also sneak in at 9-8, and 8-9 eight, eight and nine as the seventh seed in that last playoff spot because the NFC is that weak. But if they went 7-10 and 10 this year and missed the playoffs, that wouldn't be a shock. At least it shouldn't be. If Bears fans would be shocked if the Bears went 7-10 and 10 after being 3-14, and 14, then they have their expectations too high. So there are plenty of things going on in Chicago that are going to impact this season and can impact it in a large variety of ways. I don't know if there is a team in the NFL with a larger swing of outcomes than the Chicago Bears have right now. Like I said, they could have a winning record to make the playoffs, but they easily could still be a bottom seven or eight team in the NFL. That's not out of the realm of possibility at all. They are certainly helped by the fact that they are in the NFC. And how many good, you know, really good teams are there in the NFC? There are not that many because, you know, you're going to sit there. I, I know the 49ers have quarterback issues, but the 49ers are a very good football team. The Philadelphia Eagles are a very good football team. The Cowboys are good. The Saints are pretty good. The Seahawks, it's certainly going to depend on Geno Smith. And if this was a fluke or if he's kind of had a resurgence in his career, the Minnesota Vikings, I am certainly not buying the Vikings as repeating that kind of season. I think they are in for a big regression. Detroit Lions are pretty good here. So, I mean, if you think about it, all right, viable playoff teams. Let's start with the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Lions, the Saints, and the 49ers. You've got those five, right? I think that that's a safe bet. Those five teams, if as long as they don't have catastrophic injuries, they are probably going to make the playoffs. So who's that leave? All right, let's just go through the divisions. Let's start in the NFC West. You've got the Seahawks. We just talked about it. Geno Smith. Is he the real deal? That's going to be a big question mark. If Geno Smith is the real deal and throws for 30-some touchdowns this year, Seahawks are going to be a playoff team. If Geno Smith had a bit of a fluke season and regresses this year, Seahawks probably won't be a playoff team. The L.A. Rams, they're probably tanking, as far as I can tell. That, that, that defense, name a player other than Aaron Donald on the defense. One. Just one. Name a player. Yeah, it's that difficult. They have no one on the defensive side of the football. They still have Stafford and Cooper Cup. But this team, I think, is trying to find a quarterback in the 2024 draft. I do not expect the Rams to be very competitive. The Carolina Panthers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you know the Atlanta Falcons are the best out of that group. But do you really think Desmond Ritter is, is going to be propelling that team to a playoff position? I certainly don't. I still think they're going to have a losing record. And I think they're probably the second best team in that division. I don't think the Packers are going to stiff the playoffs this year with Jordan Love. I don't know if they're going to bottom out and go 2-15, and 15, but I don't think Jordan Love is particularly good. I think he, I don't think he's horrible. I don't think he's, you know, going to be out of the league in two years, but I think he's going to be a guy that you're going to have a really hard time committing to as a starter. And to me, that's kind of the perfect situation for the Packers is, being stuck in the what do we do with Jordan Love? Is he good enough? Is he not good enough? That is the perfect position. Just put them in NFL purgatory. I already said my piece with the Vikings. I think what the Giants have done will not work out for them in the long run committing to Daniel Jones. I just can't see Daniel Jones continuing to improve much upon what he is. And if the ceiling for the Giants is what they were last year, that's not particularly good. And Washington has no quarterback at all. And even if they have a few really good players, especially on defense, and some talented players on, on offense, you know, Sam Howell's not getting that team anywhere. So when you look at it and sit there and go, you got five viable playoff teams, then you've got Seattle. Let's just throw Seattle in as a six-team. Then you've got teams like the Giants and Minnesota and Atlanta. Like, those are the type of teams you're looking at. Can the Bears get ahead of those teams? 
and make the playoffs. And certainly they can if things go right. So they have the possibility to have a really good season. But that shouldn't be the expectation. That should be the hope. And that is a big, big difference. And I think, honestly, sometimes we as Bears fans struggle with hope versus expectation, where we have what we hope for and what we expect, and we have them as the same thing. And all that does is just set us up to be hurt. I mean, let's just look at what's happened here over the last 35 years in Chicago. Not a lot of positives. So... That's to me is the interesting situation with Chicago. And, you know, as we get closer to training camp, I might talk to Nick about this a little bit here during this interview, but when we get closer to training camp, I am going to really be fascinated with kind of how this 53 man roster breaks down and and I'll just kind of preview it and kind of hint at it. We'll do another podcast here in a few weeks, kind of preview the training camp battles and kind of what we want to see coming out of training camp and preseason. Uh, you know, usually do that with Robert Schmidt. So I'm going to get with Robert and see if that's something we can plan on doing here in a few weeks for you, because it's an interesting conversation. Like, will the Bears have four running backs on the roster? I think they will. I think that's pretty cut and dry there. But how are those touches going to be distributed? I know a lot of people are assuming Khalil Herbert is RB1. I don't know if that's the case. To me, Khalil Herbert is kind of an amazing and always can only be an RB2 because he doesn't do enough other than run the football. He's not a pass blocker. He can't do much out of the backfield throwing him the football. He's really just a pure runner. He's a very good pure runner, but that's really hard to make that your feature back and not have him, not able to utilize him with other aspects. You can do that with Rashawn Johnson. Travis Homer is certainly a guy you can utilize in, in the passing game. And you got, you got Foreman sitting there as well. So you've got a lot of talent at the, in the running back room. At wide receiver, obviously, you have the top three. That, that's pretty much set. Tyler Scott, fourth-round pick, you know he's going to be on this roster. But those, assuming they keep six wide receivers, you've got three wide receivers left in Bellis Jones, Dante Pettis, and Equinamia St. Brown. What are they going to value in that last spot? Will it be punt returns? Will that be Dante Pettis's way onto the roster? Will gadget play and some other special teams attributes. Ken Vellis Jones become a punt returner. Will will that guarantee his spot on the roster? St. Brown and kind of being the prototypical wide receiver body and blocking and some of the unsung things he can do on the field. I know you want to see your receivers catch footballs, but some of the things he does on the field that aren't involved in just straight catching footballs, is that what they're going to value at the bottom of the roster? So it becomes interesting in what happens with those last two wide receiver spots. Look, if Vellis Jones or if someone else steps up and becomes a good punt returner, even an average punt returner, then I think Dante Pettis is going to go, unless somehow they keep seven wide receivers, which I just can't see happening, especially when you figure Cole Komet and Tanyan are going to be, you know, be utilizing some two tight end sets a decent amount. I just don't know about a seventh wide receiver. So I think if it's six wide receivers, they're going to have a difficult decision to make here because Dante Pettis has even shown some skills, it seems, in the OTAs. Like, he's he's really played well. So they're going to have some decisions there. And then the offensive line, if they keep nine offensive linemen, I think that's also going to be interesting. And, you know, maybe some of you don't care about the bottom end of the roster, but I think some of those roster battles in training camp are a lot of fun. Like, I think we, we got the starting five, right, with Whitehair at center. Then, you know, Lucas Patrick is going to be that top interior backup, and Larry Borum looks like he's going to be the swing tackle. So that's seven. I would think Jeterry Carter is also going to be part of this group. They made the 53 all of last season as a rookie. I would think they're expecting things out of him to develop and potentially work his way into becoming a more key sub this year. That's eight. So then who, if they keep nine offensive linemen, who becomes the ninth lineman as a part of this this offense? And I think there are plenty of people that could do it. You know, Alex Leatherwood, you figure he probably has it because he's got a couple guaranteed years, but he also didn't exactly shine at the end of the season when he had opportunities. So could they, you know, cut ways and, and, and you know, go a different route there? So offensive line should be fun. And then on defense, especially up front, a lot of question marks to be answered on that defensive line. So there's plenty, plenty that is going to be interesting to watch in training camp and preseason with this Bears team. But before we get to that, 
Let's wrap up OTAs and mini camps. Let's do it with Nicholas Moriano. He's going to join us next, the CHGO Bears Beat reporter. This is Bears Banter, Bill Zimmerman. We'll be right back. All right, welcome into the podcast. This one's been a long time coming. He has never been on this podcast. Been close a few times. I've even been close a couple times on his podcast. But this is actually the first time we've gotten together. I'm glad we've finally been able to make it happen. He is CHGO's own Nicholas Moriano, and he joins me now. Nicholas, Bill Zimmerman, how you doing? Bill, like you said, it's been a long time coming. I'm so glad they were able to do this, get a nice little recap of OTA's mini camp of the 2023 Chicago Bears. Yeah, absolutely. And let's let's just dive into the OTAs because, look, I think of all the overreactions we do as NFL fans, OTAs are without question the biggest, more than training camp preseason. And th- those are big overreactions as well. But OTAs are the most, you know, the pads aren't on and everything, but people still want to kind of know how people look and how everything's going. So let's not bury the lead and let's start with QB1, Justin Fields. You know, when we what we heard, you know, was those of us who weren't there a little up and down in, in the mini camp, but really shined on that final day, looked really good, especially in the red zone. Kind of what were your thoughts watching Justin Fields perform here over the last few weeks? Yeah, I would say that Justin Fields had more good days than bad. And I think the the second day of minicamp was when there was a lot of talk about how Justin Fields did on that particular practice. And it was a mixed, a mixed bag of um, you know, good plays, misthrows, interceptions, good, really good completions. But I think that's like you you put it into perspective there, Bill. Like every throw is analyzed way too much than it should be, especially in, in mini camp and OTAs. But I think what's been really impressive with Justin Fields thus far, and you've heard it from you know the press conferences, how quickly that chemistry with DJ Moore has, sure. has come along. And it's it's really in a short amount of time, but you're seeing the different types of throws too that Justin Fields is trying in these OTAs and mini camp where there are two defenders in the area. But Justin Fields still has won the confidence and conviction to throw a pass in between Jalen Johnson and Elijah Hicks and have that ball just drop down into DJ Moore's hands. And then there are throws where, hey, he's got a lot, he's got a lofted over a defender. And then it goes into DJ Moore's, you know, just his vicinity. And I think that's what's been really cool and good to see early on from Justin Fields is that. We're seeing different types of throws. We're seeing them go to DJ Moore. And what? He's only been on the team a couple of months, but you're seeing that chemistry really blossom so far. Yeah, and that, that, that's great to hear. And and I don't think anyone needs Justin Fields to have the, let's just call it the gunslinger Brett Favre attitude of just chucking it in the triple coverage and, and just mm-hmm. trusting his arm flagrantly. I, I don't think we're looking for that. But I do think the one thing that Justin Fields did not do much of last year was really challenged defenses in terms of really trying to thread needles, things like that. Now, was that Justin Fields having a lack of confidence in himself? Was that Justin Fields having a lack of confidence in his weapons? I think that can absolutely be made because we saw at times when he did try and push the envelope with some of those throws that the receivers weren't where they were supposed to be, dropped the ball. You know, there, there were obviously issues there. So I think you know, we, we, we don't want to see Justin Fields shoot up in the in the interceptions, obviously, this season, but a little bit more. Obviously, we know the intermediate and the short throws is something he needs to work on. And I'm going to ask you about that next. But trusting himself and trusting his guys enough to make NFL level throws. I'm not I'm not saying they need to be, you know, miraculous throws, but those NFL level throws, because we know NFL open is not Big Ten open. And seeing him do that, and obviously OTAs is the place to practice that, and you're saying it looks like he has been pushing in that direction. Yeah, he definitely has, Bill. And you talked about the intermediate throws, the short throws. Well, we got a good glimpse of that in the last day of minicamp because they're primarily working in the red zone, these tight windows where you need to be precise with each throw that you make. And all those passes went to receivers not named DJ Moore. And I think that's one of the encouraging things that we were able to see down there in that last day of minicamp before the Bears kind of broke for their, their summer break, so to speak. But you saw the tight window throws to Robert Tanyan, to Cole Komet. And I think arguably the one throw that I think is going to stand out in terms of what we're going to see from Fields this year is a touchdown to Dante Pettis where he breaks the pocket and he gets into the open field. We know Fields can do that. He's going to have the opportunity to do that a lot this season. But Dante Pettis is covered up. 
by Kyler Gordon. It's really good initial coverage by Gordon, but Dante Pettis sees his quarterback break the pocket and adjust his route immediately. And Fields trusts that connection, throws a high ball. Dante Pettis goes up to catch it, gets two feet in bounds. But those are the type of plays where they're they're not imp- they're improvised, and now Fields is extending the play, and it's the receiver having to make an adjustment to get open to potentially make a big gain out of nothing initially. So that was really encouraging to see that one Fields was able to have that chemistry with some of now are the back end receivers like a Dante Pettis, Equinemius St. Brown but was able to do that. And then getting the tight ends involved in the red zone, like Robert Tanyan, he moves like he's a, he almost looks like the one, the number kind of throws me off bill with, with the 18. Now he kind of looks like a big wide receiver, but he's making catches in that tight condensed version uh, of the red zone. So it's nice to see that he's, you know, making these passes to the Cole Komet, Robert Tanyan, getting those guys involved and really just mixing it up a bit. So I like that the bears for whatever reason, didn't have DJ Moore a part of that uh, part of the practice on day three. And Matty Revlu said it shouldn't be anything too concerning or anything like that. But he ha- Fields had to go to everyone outside of number two. And he saw the production. He threw a lot of touchdowns that day and had his best day of minicamp, even when DJ Moore wasn't out on the field. Yeah. And look, and, and look, this, this isn't a, a big deal, but it was just something I, I really liked, you know, when they, they mic'd up Justin Fields for practice. And, and I understand that that was just in good fun. But, but the one thing that I really liked seeing is, and, and like, and this, this isn't to bag on the guy who's, he's a good guy, but Mitch Trubisky to me was, was loved by his teammates. Mm-hmm. But I always kind of felt like Mitch Trubisky was loved like a, a big brother loves a little brother. Like I always kind of felt like, you know, they just wanted to put their arm around him kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of the way Fields was controlling the practice field, coming up to guys, even if it was lighthearted, fun stuff, like, you know, I, I think some of the, the negatives in terms of Justin Fields' personality as a rookie is that people that didn't know him too well kind of gave him that aloof category that that he wasn't going to be like in the huddle and in the locker room and in with his teammates. And, and I think what you just saw, and again, like I said, I'm not trying to blow this too big of a deal. It's just some mic'd up practice. But I think you really saw kind of the Justin Fields, the leadership and the personality and why this team gravitates him as much as they do. Yeah, and I'll say this too, Bill. There were a couple of plays where the media was allowed to be in the end zone that the Bears' offense was going into, and there was one play where he scrambles out going to his left, and we all know that Justin Fields, if he turns a corner, he's going to beat you to the edge. And he's kind of jawing at Eddie Jackson and Jaquan Brisker. He's like, that's a touchdown all day. And he's kind of challenging both those guys. And Jaquan Brisker like, you better go out of bounds next time. But I think that's what Justin Fields brings when he's on the football field. There's a level of competitiveness that you need to show in each and every play, or he's going to show you that he's the best athlete out there. And on that specific play, it would have been close. I think Justin would have dove and maybe would have extended the the ball into the end zone, but he's challenging each and one, each, every defender on every single play. But the defenders obviously have a respect towards him and know that he's capable of, you know, turning nothing into, you know, something spectacular, but he does have a, a presence around him. And I think there there were times, too, where Iberflus would quickly call a play after they had just run one. And you see, instead of dysfunction, you see Fields commanding the huddle, like you were just talking about, getting people set. And all they did was run a simple run play to, I think, Deontay Foreman at the time. But there was it was precise, it was well executed, and they got the playoff, despite the, the quick uh, change of events from Matt Iberflus. So I think you're just seeing a more comfortable Justin Fields in year two of Luke Getz's offense. Yeah, I, and I really, really hope that's the case because, you know, quarterbacks really, when, when they become elite quarterbacks, so the other, and I'm talking Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, like those Hall of Fame level quarterbacks, you know, when I've talked to coaches and, and, and had opportunities like that, like they run practices like they they are part of the coaching staff like pay like the the broncos used to just let peyton manning go out there peyton manning would huddle up call plays you know line up the offenses you know tell people where to go what to look for all this stuff he would just like run the offense you know a lot of times aaron Rodgers would do certain things like that brady does certain things like that so see obviously fields isn't supposed to do this at you know 24 years of age but as he continues to develop and hopefully is the quarterback of this team for the next 10, 12 years, that's the type of thing you want to see. You want to see Justin Fields, you know, he's, he's a really smart guy and this, this goes well beyond, you know, graduating from Ohio state and everything. But I I really think he understands football at that next level. 
And I really think he could become that level of guy. And he, but what he needs is he needs some stability and he needs some time to grow and learn. And, and that's the one thing that, that people always kept saying is that Justin Fields was in his second offense in two years last year. That's not true. Justin Fields was in his third offense in three years because it was Ohio mm-hmm. State, Matt Nagy, and, and then Luke Getze. So a little time here for him to settle in and really learn and understand the offense. I think in that, in terms of the game slowing down and for that bat passing game to improve, that's where we need to see Justin. And hopefully we're starting to see some glimpses of that. Yeah, no, no doubt. I think the thing is too, like we want to also see, you know, there was a lot of times where Justin Fields maybe wanted to take the big play shot downfield, but I think to get the most out of this offense too, it's all right to take the checkdowns. And in that second practice that had the mixed results where, you know, did Fields have a bad day or a good day? There was a lot of checkdowns within that practice. Now, did that come because the defense dictated the throw? Justin maybe didn't see an open receiver. We look, we, I, we can only tell you what we saw. There was a bunch of checkdowns, but that's also a good thing in terms of Justin Fields understanding what is in each and every play of this offense. Like if the deep shot's not there, the intermediate throw's not there, well, now let me go to my third option. That's a, shine, a sign of progression from Fields. So that he's going through each one of his progressions, making the right throw. And I think there was one, there was one play in the first mini camp practice where it was a great throw by fields going to Cole Komet. Tremaine Edmonds is in coverage and that's a large human being to get the ball yes, over. But, but Justin's looking right. He's looking at DJ Moore, not there. I think his second option may have been, it, it, I think it was Valus, but he didn't go to that option there. He goes over to the third progression, which is Cole Komet. And it's a touch throw like anywhere under if he does not throw that ball the way he did Tremaine Edmonds is at least getting his hand on it but it's a perfectly thrown ball to commit on a corner route and that's exactly how we're gonna see Justin Fields grow in this offense if you know the defense is finally taking away DJ Moore number two maybe it's Cole Komet maybe it's not but you can get to that next progression in in the play then you have a quarterback that we already know can beat you with his legs but now he shows more what he's capable of, what he's doing with his arm, which I think he's definitely capable of more. Now you have someone that you got to worry about at all levels of the defense, and that's what can make him really dangerous. Yeah, now well, let's talk a little bit more on the offense, but let's kind of talk about the skill positions here. Kind of give me your, your overall thoughts here. Obviously, there's a lot of new guys here. Running back room is really four running backs. Steve Travis Homer as, as your fourth running back is, is, is a kind of fantastic depth there. And a lot of guys that can help in the passing game. Rashawn Johnson can block help in the passing game. Obviously, Homer can as well. That's a big reason they brought him in. They got two legitimate pass catching tight ends now with Tanyan in here. And, and really three wide receivers. We'll kind of see what the bottom end of that wide receiver group ends up looking like. But, you know, obviously the biggest complaint that a lot of bears fans had in September of 2022 is who is Justin Fields supposed to throw to? And it was a legitimate problem all season long, but a lot of upgrades made this year. How how do you think this, you know, skills position group on offense kind of stacks up to the the rest of the league? Yeah. Well, I think now, I mean, in the rest of the league, like, look, there's a lot of, obviously you look at some of the top offenses like Cincinnati or or you can't see, obviously they have a lot of playmakers, but the bears have, a good amount on their own. I think what the Bears did, Bill, in this offseason, getting the weapons for Justin Fields, like there are no excuses. Like if Justin Fields is not able to, you know, put up numbers in the passing game, get his playmakers involved, I don't think that's a reflection on what Ryan Poles, you know, didn't do. You got DJ Moore. You got, obviously, uh, Darno Mooney, who will be coming back from injury. We'll see what you get out of Chase Claypool. Robert Tanyan, I think, is going to be a nice addition then all the running backs you just mentioned, like there, there are players on this roster that should complement Justin Fields' skill set to where he should be able to put up numbers. And, you know, with the running back position through OTAs and minicamp, you know, we really haven't even seen what they're capable of. We haven't seen them be able to pass block or really actually run between the tackles. So that's a group in itself that I'm really excited to see come training camp because I think the top three guys at the group with Khalil Herbert, Deontay Foreman, and Roshan Johnson – all are guys that can run in between the tackles, can read this wide zone scheme, have good vision. But what it's going to end up coming down to, which one of those guys is going to be the most consistent pass blocker for to be maybe someone that gets more of the reps throughout a game. But that's that's a fun battle to have. I remember I, I asked Coach David Walker, the running backs coach, is that a problem that you don't have, I guess, the guy? He's like, never a problem. 
never a problem. We, I've had problems where I've never had, uh, you know, I've even one guy. So that's a good, you know, issue, quote unquote, issue to have at the running back room. Tight end, I think Robert Tanyan's a guy that, you know, knows this offense. And when asked about what this this offense really looks like, he said that it goes through the tight end with what they're able to do in the passing game and, and also the run blocking, which the Bears are still going to do a lot in 2023. But this group of pass catchers, running backs, even the offensive line, I think is enough now, Bill, to, to really see what Justin Fields can do as a complete quarterback. And we saw it too many times last season, out of necessity, you know, Fields had to run because that was probably the best play on the field. He's going to outrun the defense, make make a guy make a guy miss and just outrun everybody. But now you do have the pass catchers in place where I think Justin Fields is going to be able to show his true skill set. And the DJ Moore move cannot be understated how important that is. Not just in terms of giving Fields a number one wide receiver, but just a someone that he can lean to to learn from, you know, what defenses are actually doing out there. That was something that that Fields said in his uh, latest press conference where this guy is played in so much it played against so many different types of defenses and knows so much that he can you know dabble into that that great mind of dj Moore and just kind of work off of him to see what he's seeing and that will help fields in the end so this group of pass catchers and just overall playmakers again is one where there are no excuses for justin fields in my opinion he needs to go out there utilize them being in year two of this offense i think we really are going to see a good season from Justin Fields because he has everything in place now. Yeah, I, I hope you're right. And I, I do tend to agree with you. And since you brought up Chase Claypool, let me ask you about Chase because I think he's the guy getting the most attention right now mm -hmm. from social media and, and Bears media, kind of kind of general fans talking about it because look, last season was not what anyone hoped out of Chase Claypool. And I understand it takes a while to learn the offense and he got banged up and, and missed time, but regardless that those were not the results you wanted to see, obviously. And then, you know, we get, get into this year and Justin Fields even kind of mentioned that he thought his attitude, I don't remember the exact quote, but it basically was saying it felt like his attitude was better this year and that he was kind of more mature. So, so that makes you think that maybe Claypool was having some other issues last year whatever those might've been. But then of course, Sylvie comes out here from ESPN and mentions that the bears may not be happy with where Chase Claypool was. We know he didn't participate. He was there, but did not participate in a lot in OTAs. I don't know if you guys ever kind of got a straight answer with that, but you know, that he's an interesting guy. And look to me, if Darnell Mooney isn't extended this off season, and I don't think he will be, I think Colt Komet will be, I, I'm not sure about anyone else. I don't think Mooney is going to get that extension yet i don't i'm not saying that he's, he's gonna leave i just think he's gonna have to play out this year because to me with dj moore is getting paid i don't think you end up paying three wide receivers so darnell mooney and chase claypool to me are kind of playing for their 2024 season and i think darnell mooney obviously has the significant inside track there so chase claypool may be playing for a contract not necessarily for the Bears, but for elsewhere in his contract year. So kind of where are you with, with Chase Claypool expectations? Because he is a very, you know, if, if you said he played 17 games, had 1,200 yards receiving and eight touchdowns, I wouldn't, I'd love it. it. It's not out of the realm of possibility. But if you said he played eight games and had 250 yards receiving and no touchdowns, that wouldn't be shocking either. So there's a lot of variance there with Claypool. So where do you fall with him? Yeah, I mean, those two like uh, outcomes that you put there, Bill, like it's very realistic how which way it could end up falling for, for Chase Claypool. But for me, like, I, again, I don't know exactly how the Bears feel about him. I just I would assume they, they really do want to see him on the field, though. Right. And I'm curious sure. to see what that offense really looks like with all three of those receivers healthy and in the offense. But with Chase Claypool, like I never look, I really never envisioned him to be a guy that gets a thousand yards, even when the bears made the uh, trade to go get him last year. And especially now with DJ Moore going to get a majority of the targets as he should, as going to be the focal point in this offense. I, you know, I just think with, with Chase Claypool, like he needs to show, you know, obviously you make the trade Ryan polls and it was, it was one that, you know, 32 overall pick. Right. So with Chase Claypool, you know, I, I the best thing for him, he needs to get onto the football field and actually be healthy to show what he's truly capable of. I think there were even times last year, still learning the offense, like you mentioned, where 
you know, you want him to be able to win those 50-50 balls. But he really hasn't shown consistently that he's that kind of guy. But he is this big buyer receiver that you will the Bears, you know, last year like to utilize him on some jet sweeps and things like that. But if that's the role that Chase Claypool is playing, it's just I don't think the the trade is ever going to amount to what you actually got. But for me, like I'm keeping expectations relatively low. Like if he goes out, puts up, let's say, 700 yards receiving, gets in the end zone five times. It's a good, it's a decent season. It sure. is a decent season for Chase Claypool, but like I never envisioned him to be like a hundred catch guy, a hundred ball, you know, receptions, a thousand yards. That just, I, it never crossed my mind for a guy like uh, when they made that trade. But I think whatever you get from him is obviously a plus this season. And then, you know, interesting with like the, the contract extensions, Cole Komet, yeah, is definitely going to be the guy that I think the Bears go to first. And I think the, Bear, the Bears I know like Darnell Mooney. They really do, but just you got to see how he comes back from this injury. Right, and I think him moving back into the slot will actually help him a lot in terms of his production, what he's capable of doing in this offense. So if he comes back healthy, is, is productive like what we saw almost two years ago from Mooney. Now you're talking about a guy that if they're going to look between Claypool and Mooney, you know you almost want to think that Mooney would be the guy that they they opt to give that extension to. But for Chase, it's it's really up in the air. Like I. You know, I want him to be successful. He has, when you look at him physically, Bill, too, it's like, he's different. He is way different from everybody right. else. But it's just, it needs to all come together. And hopefully being another year in this offense with Justin Fields, Luke Getze, you know, those the stars will kind of align for him to have, hopefully, a bounce back year and just being more comfortable in this offense. Yeah, and let me ask you this, uh, since we're on wide receivers here, because I, I actually think the when we get to training camp and, and preseason, the bottom of the wide receivers, that, that conversation, that uh, debate is going to be pretty darn interesting because when, when you look at how this breaks down, let's assume the bears keep six wide receivers on the 53 man roster. That, that is a safe bet to have. You've got the top three that we just talked about with Moore, Mooney and Claypool. They're not going anywhere. Tyler Scott, they just spent a fourth round pick on him. He is pretty much a lock on the 53. So assuming everyone is healthy, You've got those four guys. Then you've got two spots left for ESB, Vellis Jones, and Dante Pettis. Now, if the Bears find a punt returner not named Dante Pettis, I think that's probably the guy who is the odd man out. But if they aren't comfortable and I, with the other punt returning options on their roster and they need to keep Dante Pettis on the 53-man roster – we could see a surprise and cut. And I know ESB is limited with what he can do, but he's, you know, he's a prototypical receiver that can block and, and help in those, mm-hmm. that wide zone offense. And Vellis Jones obviously had a pretty good final game there, but did not have the rookie year. A lot of people had hoped to see, could we see potentially a Vellis Jones get cut? Could you see something like that? Would ESB be the odd man out again? If Pettis needs to be on this team for a punt returning situation, it's it's a really complicated bottom of the receiver situation for the for the roster. Yeah, I think that's going to be like the, the most fascinating how this fifty three man roster kind of shakes out the bottom end of the receiving core. And look, Bayless Jones Jr. as a mini camp has been getting some reps now as a punt returner. I think the Bears want that to work because if that if he is able to show that he can consistently do that, you feel comfortable with him doing that then that would make a guy like Dante Pettis a little bit more expendable. But with e- with Equinemius St. Brown, like that's a guy that he does a lot of good things on the football field that maybe don't get as highly recognized. As, you know, the blocking is going to be a big part of what the Bears do. They're still going to run the ball a lot. But, you know, he doesn't have as much special teams experience. And now he's back. He's in the role that he should be, that that fourth, fifth, sixth spot role. Sure. As opposed yeah. to, what, the two or three last year. <laughs> where the Bears put, put like a help wanted sign for players to come in and like help them out. So I think with Equinemius, it, it does become more interesting. I think he makes a 53, but if it is, if they decide to keep Dante Pettis in the conversation, like you, you brought up earlier, Bill, is between ESB and Valus. I almost think they go with Valus just because that was Ryan Poles' third round draft pick, the only wide receiver right. he, he drafted. And he does provide some special teams value. And, you know, at the kick returner position where he showed that he can, you can make some plays there as opposed to, to Equinemius St. Brown, where he doesn't have that special team experience, but he does, you know, he is a good blocker on the field. 
it's a fascinating conversation, but if they only keep six and Vale, I would think Valus and Equinemius make the roster and Dante Pettis is the odd man out, even though the play I was highlighting earlier, he he's been showing up in mini camp and OTAs as a receiver, just a nuanced route running. So it's, you know, it's honestly, it's a good place for the bears to be in. They don't know which wide receivers to keep because now there's more talent on this roster as opposed to last year. It's like, you can catch a ball, you play wide receiver, you're on the team. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw some interesting people getting valuable reps in key games, like late in the fourth <laughs> quarter. That's and, and now, they, like you said, they've got too much talent at receiver. It's a really nice turnaround to have. Uh, before we jump off the offense, let me just ask you about the offensive line. Obviously, there's not too much to get into in OTAs. I like the fact that Darnell Wright just jumped right in and they didn't play the, you've got to earn your starting position stuff. We know where that's going, and, and, and I like to see that. Cody Whitehair seems to be the center, but Lucas Patrick did definitely get reps with the ones at center. Uh, it seems to be that might be the only position that might have a little question. You know, I, I would have liked to see maybe uh, Carter get some reps there or, you know, see kind of where they are in terms of some of these other centers. But kind of where are you at the position? Do you, do you get the feeling that this is Whitehair's job kind of no matter what? Or is there a chance he might get bumped out uh, if Lucas Patrick or someone has a strong training camp? Yeah, I think this is uh, Cody Whitehair's job to be the starting center. And with Lucas Patrick, just he did get some reps, like you said, uh, with the first team. He's also had some reps in it at guard at times. But I think that's just a nice guy to have. And just to get some some reps in with Justin Fields in case something happened to Cody Whitehair, at least they have that familiarity there. But Lucas Patrick uh, will be the depth piece there. And then it's it's a lot different from last you know OTAs and minicamp where it's just a fluctuation of guys going in and out. You didn't know who was playing where, but this this front five with Braxton Jones, Tevin Jenkins, Cody Whitehair, Nate Davis, and then obviously Darnell Wright. It's a good change for the Bears to have some just stable players in place on the offensive line. I think the when you look at the back end too, like it's Charlie Carter. He was getting some first team reps when Nate Davis wasn't here. Dieter Eselin was the second team starting center and then third team left guard. So those are guys that I like in for depth pieces. And then Larry Borum is now once a starter and now probably in the right spot as a, you know, potential swing tackle for this team. But the offensive line, you know, it's just nice that there isn't a lot of talk about them to be completely honest at this point in the year, we know who's playing where and you know what their roles are. Yeah, like in, you said, it's kind kind of like an umpire. You don't want to hear about the offensive mm-hmm. line in May and June. That's that's not the time you want to hear yep. about them. That that's for sure. Let me ask you a little bit about about rookies and 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 how they've kind of done just kind of a, a broad scale between Tyreek Stevenson and you know I don't know how much you could maybe get from from Dexter or Pickens you know with, without without too much contact there, but you know obviously Tyler Scott on offense. How do you think the rookies performed at OTAs? Yeah, so I think, you know, when you look at a guy like Tyreek Stevenson, it was only a matter of time before he was going to be with the starters. And it didn't take long. I didn't think he was going to basically win the opposite starting cornerback position of Jalen Johnson without pads, but he's already done it. Kendall Vildor, the last two practices, never made it onto the varsity field. They kind of split up the fields between the first team and then the second and third. Kendall Vildor stayed with the second and third stringers while it was Tyreek Stevenson and Michael Ojemudie who were like kind of the backup corners on that side, but he he's been impressing. And, you know, Justin Fields though has recognized when Stevenson's in the game, like I'm going to throw the ball that way. See if, if Stevenson can make some plays and there've been some touchdowns caught on that side, but I think he's a guy that obviously the coaching staff feels really comfortable with putting him in that role right now to see how he can further grow with this starting defense um, a guy like Javon Dexter, like you said, we can't see as much right now without the pads, but one play really stood out where I'm thinking about the Bears culture. They're all about the hits principle, right? The hustle, intensity, things like that. And Javon Dexter is the only player on the field chasing down Justin Fields on a QB keeper to the right side, where most of the players, they've kind of gone away, gone to you know the next play. Javon Dexter's running down the field trying to go get Justin Fields. He's not going to catch him, Bill, but just seeing him down there in that effort, I think it's really, it shows how the rookie class, or especially Javon Dexter, just bought into this very important cultural, you know, aspect that the Bears are trying to implement each and every one of their rookies. Um, A guy like Roshan Johnson, 
again, like the like the offensive defensive line, the running backs we haven't seen as much of, but he has worked with the second and third string, has worked at times with the first string uh, in terms of just, you know, getting some passes out of the backfield. Tyler Scott, I think he's also been working up his way into, into the first teamers as well. Haven't we unfortunately haven't been able to see a guy like Terrell Smith, the other cornerback that the, the Bears have drafted. He's been uh sidelined due to injury. Kendall Williamson's another guy, the safety seventh round pick, who also hasn't made a lot of plays. But I think in training camp, like I'm really curious to just watch the line and see how Zach Pickens and Javon Dexter can start utilizing more of their moves because Tevin Jenkins said they're only allowed to do the the finesse kind of handwork right now. He's looking forward to seeing like the bull rush technique that both those large human beings are definitely capable of. So that's what I'm really looking forward to seeing come training camp, the pads come on, how much force and how much I think just competition there's going to be between a guy like Tevin Jenkins or Nate Davis when they go up against some of these rookies and see how they kind of, you know, fare in there. Now, let me ask you about the defensive line a little bit. We, we talked about it a little bit with obviously with Pickens and Dexter here. Really kind of the one area, I think, where when the dust settled with free agency and the draft, where you kind of went there and went, oh, okay, that's not where polls address. I don't know if it's necessarily from a lack of effort. I think it's just kind of the way the, the, the dice fell and the kind of the cards fell for him this particular year i think that's probably going to be almost forced as a higher priority maybe the top priority next season when when he has his opportunities to first round picks and still having some money to spend so i I think we're going to see some changes there but when we look at that defensive line it could be interesting to see how he utilizes the pieces he has you know you got someone like uh, demarcus walker who can rush inside and play outside you know, Dexter is a guy who looks like he can play the one tech and the three tech. Zach Pickens, the guy, doesn't look like he's going to be able to do much from a run stop perspective this season. You know, see if he develops into it more of a kind of an interior pass rushing guy. And then obviously the free agents like Billings and stuff like that, where I almost wonder if we're going to see, you know, on more on obvious rushing downs, if we're going to see maybe Dexter kind of playing. I, I don't know where Justin Jones fits in. We'll kind of see, but maybe something like, Dexter playing the three tech with Billings and DeMarcus outside. And then on passing downs, maybe Pickens comes in with Walker on the inside. And then obviously you got, you know, more traditional edge rushers. Maybe they'll still add an edge. I think that would be a, 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 you know, Ngakwe is a guy I think would fit really well with what they need, despite him not being able to stop the run very well. But based on who's left, I think he makes a lot of sense. How do you kind of think this defensive line is going to get utilized? Because, you know, the linebackers, they spent a lot of money. They've got a good linebacking core. I think if Tyreek Stevenson has a good rookie year, we're going to have a, a pretty solid secondary here in Chicago. But I don't know if they're going to be able to rush the passer. I don't know how well they're going to be stopping the run up front. I think that the big question mark on this defense is that defensive line. And I'm very curious to see kind of how they get the most out of this group this season. Yeah, Bill, I think this is definitely going to be a committee approach when it comes to you know, just a defensive line as a whole. And especially at the the edge rusher position where Demarcus Walker was the biggest guy that they brought to a, a defense that finished with 20 sacks last season, right? So I think that's – it helps, though, that the Bears did get a lot of guys that can play on the interior because I think that will help out guys like Walker, who can also play inside. Dominique Robinson, who we didn't see much of after, you know, week one. Of, of last right. season where you got Trey Lance a couple of times uh, and, all, and you know, Travis Gibson and Rasheem Green. So it's definitely going to be a committee approach. And I think that, you know, bodes well for guys like Javon Dexter, who was the guy at Florida. And, you know, we, we talked to his defensive line coach and said that we couldn't really take him out at times because he was our best player. So he was gassed. Now having more of a rotation inside with Justin Jones, Andrew Billings, and, you know, Zach Pickens, that's going to give him, uh, you know, just fresher legs as the game goes on. So if he's able to, you know, provide penetration up the middle, that should, in theory, help out whoever's on the edge. But it's definitely for me going to be, as of right now, the as the roster stands, it has to be a committee approach because you don't have the guy at, at any one of these positions as of right now. So you need to rely. They always talk about whether you talk to Alan Williams, uh, Travis Smith, the defensive line coach, the players themselves. It's four as one is how they kind of put it where, you know, each, this whole unit's working as, as one, one unit to kind of get to the quarterback or stop the run, whatever it may be. 
but that's how the bears are going to have to play if they want to be successful with their front four, especially just knowing that, you know, you do have two rookies in there. They're going to be asked to do a lot. And you do have a guy like Dominic Robinson. Who's, I think he's still learning the whole position in general, but now going to year two should have more experience. Travis Gibson, after talking to the defensive line coach, Travis Smith, he's going to be the guy that plays on both sides, which was is something different that he didn't do last year when Robert Quinn was here for a time. But for a majority of that year, I believe he played will be on the, the left side. So now you're going to see a guy like Travis Gibson play on both sides. So I think for the Bears, they're trying to find, one, the best groupings at work. But as a game goes on, Bill, like I, you're going to see units just swarm in and out, in and out to where – Hopefully they can have fresh legs, get different types of guys out there with maybe different combinations to try to ultimately get the one goal is getting to the quarterback. And it doesn't always have to be sacks, but at least affecting the play in some kind of way. But that's got to be the goal for the Bears right now. And like you, I do expect the Bears to bring in somebody else and we'll see what happens in terms of, you know, veterans that may get cut during training camp. Yeah, like I'm sure like every single uh, site that writes about the Bears right now has that Yannick Ngakwe article already queued up, <laughs> ready to go out as soon as it's made. But yeah, expect them to definitely sign somebody else. All right, last one for you here before I let you go. You know, obviously it's it's early here, but it's still at this point. I think we we can kind of make this determination for you. What is a successful season this year? When when we fast forward to January 2024. You know, what would, when you look back and go, this, this was a good season for the bears kind of what, what's the threshold? Is it playoffs, non-playoffs? Is there a win total? Is it more specifically just Justin Fields development? Where are you in terms of, you know, what the bears need to accomplish this season for it to be successful? I think bill for me, when I look at that, um, what is successful for the bears? I think it's just knowing that Justin Fields is your franchise quarterback because every, every move they've made, has been about him when you trade out of your spot to, to move back one slot, you know, take a guy like Darnell, Wright. That's made because you want to see Justin Fields upright this season. When you trade the number one overall pick, you, you want DJ Moore involved in that just so you could see what he can be at his best version as a passer. And you bring in a guy like Robert Tanyan and more running backs. And, you know, Luke gets, still here in year two as an offense coordinator, if the Bears, maybe they they just miss out on the playoffs, but you know Justin Fields is that guy, like that's a successful season in my eyes because this roster it is far and away better than what it was last year, but is it ready to compete for a playoff spot? You know, if the, the stars align, you know, they're humming as an offense, the defense is able to get to the quarterback, they're still creating some turnovers, then they easily could be in that contention, especially in a weak NFC. But I think for me, it all comes back to seeing how – Justin Fields can play. If you know that he is a dynamic playmaker through the air in addition to his legs, then you did what you had to do to, to at least see that play out. Because obviously we, you know, before the bears traded that number one overall pick, it's like, what, what are the bears going to even consider one of these, you know, top quarterbacks in the draft. They made that decision, traded it away. They need to see what's in Justin Fields. And by the end of this season, if we know that answer, you feel definitive that Justin Fields is your guy moving forward. Now you have those two first round draft picks that you talked about earlier. You could build around Justin Fields even more, whether that's revamping the defense or giving him another playmaker on offense. You have that luxury and you finally figured out finally the, the most important position in all of sports. So I think that is going to be the most important part. And I don't say that like Justin Fields doesn't have to be perfect by any means, but you just need to know, he passed the eye test. He, maybe he throws just for over 3,000 passing yards and has seven, 800 on the ground again. Who knows? Somewhere around those lines. But he just looks like that guy. That, I think, is a, a successful season in my eyes. If they can make the playoffs, too, like, of course, that would be like the nice cherry on top. But I think Justin Fields showing that he is your guy moving forward. That's going to make the, the 2023 season a successful one. I can't disagree with that at all. All right. He is at Nicholas Moriano on Twitter. Make sure you check him out there. And of course, CHGO Bears coverage, the beat writer for CHGO. Make sure you check them out on YouTube and all their, their daily podcasts, their, their churn out content, not just Bears, but Cubs, White Sox, Blackhawks, Bulls, anything you want. Chicago Sports CHGO has you covered. Nick, thanks for so much time. Really enjoyed the conversation. Glad we could finally make this work and enjoy your summer. Appreciate it, Bill. Thank you for having me.
Oh, all right. There he is, Nicholas Moreano, everybody. I'm sure you follow him on Twitter. If you don't, it's pretty straightforward at Nicholas Moreano, M-O-R-E-A-N-O. Make sure you give him a follow. Always good interactions and plenty of insight and information coming out of Alice Hall from that Twitter account. So make sure you follow him. But look, we'll do a tra- uh, training camp preview podcast here in a few weeks. But this is the time for Bears fans to kick their feet up. If you're a baseball fan and you want to watch the Cubs or the White Sox, go ahead and, and do that if you dare. But other than that, keep get your feet up and get ready for training camp because there's going to be some interesting things. As we This, this is the first year that you can say this is a Ryan Poles football team. Last year is usually is the first year with a new regime. You get a lot of carryover from the Ryan Pace squad. You don't know which one of Ryan Pace's guys are, are really going to become key members of Ryan Poles' team. Now you definitely have, you know, more of an idea. A couple question marks still here or there. And obviously I'm not saying there aren't Ryan Pace guys still on this roster, but you really get a feel for the Ryan Poles roster now at this point. He's cleared out a lot of the guys. He's kept some of the key guys. And we will really get to see some of these new faces really develop and and hopefully turn into something here that the Chicago Bears can build on in 2023. So that's going to do it for Bears Banter. We'll talk to you soon, everybody. Bear down. Adios. Adios.